of Advent, the songs of Advent. I love Christmas songs. I love Christmas music. I listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and don't you Scrooges tell me I shouldn't. I love Christmas music. Some of the most wonderful songs of the year. Some of them not so wonderful. Some Christmas music is great, and some of it is just really horrible, right? We sat down as a family the other day, it was at dinner actually, and I just said, let's make a list of the best and the worst Christmas songs. And so <clears throat> we came up with some great ones, like some of the best ones, you know, Joy to the World, O Come All Ye Faithful, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, Angels We've Heard on High. Uh, of course, there's the others like White Christmas and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Um, then we also came up with a list of the bad ones. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa. It's very confusing for children. Why is mommy kissing Santa Claus? Of course, there's uh, grandma got ran over by a reindeer. She's just wrong on so many levels. Who sings that at Christmas? Um, I don't like John Lennon's So This Is Christmas. And Santa Baby is just a terrible song. And personally, I just can't stand listening to Alvin and the Chipmunks in Christmas music. <sighs> My kids wanted to put on the list, what was it? Um, the All I Want for Christmas is a Hippopotamus or something like that. I forget that one. It was forgettable. There's a lot of Christmas music. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. We're listening to a lot of it either intentionally or it's in the background, playing on the radio, playing in the stores we're shopping in, playing in the movies that we're watching. Uh, but this Christmas, here at church, we are studying the first songs of Christmas as they are recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. These opening two chapters of Luke's Gospel uh, almost come across as a musical, as um, these inspired solos just keep breaking out, celebrating the intervention and visitation of God in the birth of His Son. So last week we looked at Mary's song, her Magnificat, as it's called. My soul, she sings, magnifies the Lord. This week we are looking at Zechariah's song, what's often called the Benedictus, which means blessing, because his song begins, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So the Benedictus. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, who was the prophetic forerunner to Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're taking notes, the title of our sermon today is Zechariah's Song. And we are going to read a very large portion of Scripture today. So I invite you to follow along. We'll begin reading in verse 5, Luke 1, verse 5. Please follow along. This is what Holy Scripture says. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your life Elizabeth, wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Skip down with me, if you will, now to verse 57. We'll continue our reading in verse 57. <clears throat> now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all, those th- all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people 
and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We ask the Lord now to bless both the preaching and the believing of his word. There are three things I want to highlight for you in this song. Three things I want to point out. First, that this is a song of second chances. This is a song of second chances. It is a song of blessing. And it is a song of salvation. So point number one, this is a song of second chances. The prelude to this song has Zechariah serving as priest in the temple. Uh, Verse 8 tells us that Zechariah is on duty at the temple. Um, At that time, the priesthood uh, in Israel was separated into 24 divisions. They were separated into 24 divisions, and they would rotate, serving two weeks at a time in the temple. So you'd be on your farm or wherever you lived and worked most of the time, but for two weeks you would go in as a priest to the temple and serve. And then on all the major holidays, you know, Day of Atonement and, and, and Pentecost, you'd come in, everybody would come in and serve. But um, it was Zechariah's division, his turn to be at the temple serving. So he's in Jerusalem, he's at the temple serving, and one of the duties of the priest, uh, in addition to the, you know, the sacrifices and, and all that that they would do, one of the duties of the priest was to keep the incense burning in the temple. Uh, The incense was there to remind or to symbolize that the prayers of the people uh, were always going up into the presence of God. And the priest went in twice a day into the temple to make sure that the incense continued to burn. And it was a huge honor to be able to go inside and be the one who kept the incense burning. Uh, At that time, there were 18,000 priests in the land of Israel. Uh, So don't think that there was just this small group at the temple. There was 18,000 priests in Israel. And so they would draw lots to see who got to go inside and burn the incense. Um, And since, you know, there's 18,000 priests, if lot fell to you, uh, that that was very rare. Um, You might only get to do this once in your life uh, at all, maybe. And so it was a huge honor to be able to go into the temple and keep the incense burning. And so here's Zechariah, imagine him, he's walking through the temple courts, he picks up the holy flame at the burnt offering outside the sanctuary, he carries it through the court as the people are praying, he, enter, he goes up the steps of the temple, I imagine he takes a deep breath, and then he enters in to the holy. 
The walls are plated in gold. On one side is the uh, the showbread, the table of the showbread. On the other side is the golden lamp stand. Further back against that back wall is this massive curtain that hangs from floor to ceiling and blocks off the holy from the holy of holies, the most holy, the place of the Ark of the, Count, uh, the, Ark of the Covenant. He's in there all by himself. And standing right in front of him, maybe kind of like this, about 20 inches around 40 inches off the ground, plated in pure gold, is the altar of incense. This is what he had come to do. This was his duty. And as Zechariah is in there all by himself, all of a sudden, an angel appears, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Try to imagine what this would be like to be in this awesome place and all of a sudden have an angel appear. The closest thing I can think of out of my own life is when I was um, in Maryland, when we lived in Maryland for a season, uh, I was able to take a tour of the White House. And I was imagining if I was taking a tour of the White House and maybe I, you know, I kind of got left behind. They, they went on to another room while I was looking at something. And so I'm in a room by myself. And then imagine if all of a sudden the president of the United States walked in, you know, <gasps> oh my goodness. Hello, sir. You know, stand to attention. Like to be in the presence of someone of authority and power, but to be in the presence of someone, presence of authority and power who is a supernatural being. This is Gabriel, one of only two angels that are mentioned by name in, in Scripture. Gabriel, he's one of the big dogs in heaven. This is an angel with direct access to God. That's what he says, right? Like, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And he has come, and now he stands in the presence of Zechariah, and he brings good news. I mean, amazing news. Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, is going to have a baby. His barren wife is going to bear a son. They're going to call him John. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he's going to turn many of the children of Israel back to God. He will go before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah, and he will prepare God's people for their Savior. Now, this is incredible news coming from an incredible source, an angel standing right in front of him, but Zechariah has a hard time believing it. Verse 18, uh, we read, he replies, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, there's an interesting comparison that we are meant to make here, a contrast that Luke wants us to make. If you'll remember Mary's encounter with Gabriel last week that we studied. Remember, Gabriel showed up to Mary, this poor young woman, 12, 13, 14 years old, not married, tell her she's going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be the Savior. And she responded, how will this be, since I am a virgin? So both of these people, Zechariah and Mary, ask honest questions. Zechariah, how can this be? I'm old, and my wife is old. Mary, how can this be? I'm a virgin. They're nearly identical questions, and yet there must be something entirely different in their hearts. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God could see through their questions, and in Mary's heart, he saw faith, but in Zechariah's heart, he saw unbelief. This is a contrast we are meant to see. Mary's belief against Zechariah's unbelief. And as a result of his unbelief, Zechariah is rendered mute for nine months. He can't speak for nine months, but then, and this is the prelude to the thing, this is the prelude to the song, then God gives him a second chance. So Elizabeth does become pregnant. She does give birth to a son. And the custom in those days is that you are to name your son after the immediate father, or at least some other male in the family, right? So he was going to be Zech Jr., Zechariah Jr. That was, this was what he was going to be, they thought. You know, just, I've got two boys, and you know, I thought Jace Jr. would be pretty good names for them. Jace Jr. and Jace Jr. Jr. Uh, they'd be really great names. Uh, but we decided to go you know, biblical, and Jace, unfortunately, isn't in the Bible. Um, so couldn't do Jace Jr. Although I hear Jace has a great meaning, uh, handsome, intelligent, kind. Although Adam was quick to point out in first service, not humble, apparently. <laughs> True. So we went for Joshua and Caleb, although we did give Joshua my middle name, Michael, who is also my dad's middle name. And we gave Caleb uh, my mom's dad's name, uh, for a middle name, John. And so something of that passing on. And so that's what they expected Zechariah to do, that he would name his son Zechariah after him. But no, Elizabeth said, his name will be John. And they say, Zechariah, is that right? And he takes the tablet and he writes, his name will be John. His, he names his boy in accordance with what Gabriel had said to him. He's learned his lesson. He lives by faith now. And verse 64 tells us, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And that's the song we have for us in verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Friends, this is a song. Before we get to the song, I want you to see, this is a song of second chances. This is coming from a man who has experienced fresh grace from God. Zechariah was a good man, but he had failed in a really big way. And yet God's grace came to him and he was given a second chance. Zechariah was a good man who failed in a big way. And maybe you're here today just like Zechariah. A pretty good person, a generally good and respectable person, but you have failed in some big way. You're here, you're singing the songs, you're dressed pretty good, or maybe really nice, you look respectable, you're friendly enough greeting people, but God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And if we could see your heart, we would know that you're a whale, that you have failed in some really big way. And maybe you're like Zechariah, mute. You'll sing the songs, but it's not in your heart. The praise isn't there. Not like it used to be. Not like it has been before. If that's you, I want you to hear. 
This song is God's word to you. That he is the God of second chances. And third chances. And fourth chances. And fifth and five hundredth chances. Is that not the story of Israel? And that's Zechariah's story as well. This song is God's word to you. In him there is always new mercy. Don't live like those in verse 79 who just sit in darkness. Friend, the light of Christ has come. And his light is brighter than your darkness. The sun of mercy is shining. The day spring has appeared. So don't live under your failure. Live in faith and bless God. Trust God. Listen, a righteous person is not someone who never falls down and never fails. Righteous people fall and righteous people fail. Proverbs 24, 16 tells us, A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. In other words, it's the righteous who take hold of the mercy of God and they get back up again and again and again every time they fall down. It's the righteous who keep getting back up. We all fall and stumble. We all hit calamities and trip and fall, but it's the wicked who stay down and it's the righteous who take hold of the mercy of God and get back up again. We get back up, but not by the grit and determination of our own spirit, but by the helping hand of Christ. We get back up because of the living hope we have in Jesus. That where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Grace abounds all the more so. We get back up with the hope that there is forgiveness in God. We get back up with the hope that God delights in giving second, third, and five hundredth chances. So if you're here today and you failed in a big way, repent of your sin. Believe in God. Receive forgiveness. Walk in grace. This is a song of second chances. This is a song of second chances, and point number two, this is a song of blessing. This is a song of blessing. This is a song praising God for what he is doing in sending Jesus. Verse 67 tells us Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and that he prophesied. So he is singing, but he is singing about the coming visitation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has come in Christ to redeem us. God has come in Christ to pay the price for our salvation. Salvation costs something. Salvation costs something. It doesn't come freely. The word redeem here means to buy out. To buy out. Uh, It came from the old idea of, of buying a slave's freedom, purchasing a slave's freedom. God came in Christ to purchase our freedom from the bondage to sin. We are redeemed through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace which he lavishes on us. So what we said a few weeks ago, the point of Christmas is Easter. Christ came to die. 
We sang this earlier. When every unclean thought and every sinful deed was scourged upon his back and hammered through his feet, the innocent is cursed. The guilty are released. The punishment of God on God has bought me peace. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And verse 69 goes on to say, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go around talking a lot about raising up a horn of anything. Um, we don't do much of horns. In my, some of you are hunters, and you, you've got some antlers, which are kind of like horns hanging in your houses, and so I guess that's something. But the horn, a horn in Scripture was a reference to strength. The horn of an animal represented its strength and power. And so Zechariah is praising God for sending a mighty Messiah a powerful Savior, a strong Deliverer, who he says in verse 71, saves us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Listen, the coming of Christ is the ultimate demonstration of the power and the strength of God to save his people. Christmas is about the coming power of God to deliver us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited us and redeemed us. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And then verse 7, he says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Listen, this visitation is from God. Is sending, this sending of his son, Jesus, it's all a fulfillment. It's all a fulfillment of all the previous promises God has made to save his people. Christmas is about the coming power of God. Christmas is about the coming Savior in Jesus Christ. And Christmas is about the faithfulness of God to fulfill all his promises. Promises that are made, Zechariah says, to Abraham and to David and to the holy prophets and to his people. Listen, this is a song that reminds us God keeps his promises. What's Christmas about? God keeping his promises. All the promises and prophecies of God are coming true. All that the Old Testament predicted and pointed to is coming about. All that the Old Testament anticipated in this visitation in the coming of Christ, it's all coming to pass. It's all being fulfilled and Zechariah can't help but to celebrate and to sing about the faithfulness of God who keeps all his promises. Man, we need to hear that. When trials come our way, God keeps all his promises. God keeps all his promises. Friends, this is a song of blessing. God redeems, God saves, God keeps his promises. I want to invite you to evaluate yourself today. Evaluate what do you bless God for? What do you praise God about? What, what elicits worship from you all of a sudden? What makes you explode with worship? Uh, for so many of us, it's very easily the things of uh, this life that make our life better. The things like a, a new promotion or a, a, some good grades or a good health report or a good season in our marriage. And these are all great things. We're about to, some of us, many of us are all going to get Christmas gifts here. And it's going to be great. 
and we should thank God for them. James tells us every perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from the Father of light. So everything good in our life, we should thank God for. But listen, you don't have to be a Christian to thank God for good health. You don't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to thank God for a promotion. We should do that. But should our hearts at Christmas, should they not sing that our God redeems, our God saves, and our God keeps His promises? May God give us a spirit of worship this Christmas for how great He is in saving us, in sending His Son, in keeping His promises. And the effect of all this, the effect of all this praise, the consequence of this great deliverance, verses 74 and 75, is that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Uh, this is good for us to note, friends. We need to remember this. The goal of our salvation is not getting out of hell. The goal of our salvation is not getting out of hell. It is serving God. We are saved to serve God all our days. If you're a Christian here today, that is the point of your saved life. That's the mission of your life now. This is why you are to do everything you do and anything you do do. God has saved you to serve him all your days. Remember back in the Exodus, uh, Moses didn't just come to Pharaoh like in the movies, you know, let my people go. No, he came saying the message from God was let my people go that they might serve me. And in Ephesians 2, what are we taught? But that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's always been salvation for service. What is Paul saying in Romans 12, in light of the great mercy of God, let us present our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God. This is our reasonable service. Our lives saved, our lives used to serve God in everything we do. We have been purchased at a cost, at a price, to be servants of the Most High God. Now, as Christians, we know this. As Christians, we know this. The question is, do we really know this? Do we really know this? Is Jesus the master over your time? Is Jesus the master over your expenditures? Do you serve him with your home? Is he God of your education and your career? Is your marital status all in the service of the Lord? Your parenting, your friendships, your church involvement, your ministry commitments. You are not your own. You have been purchased at a price. So glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your life. Ask him this Christmas 
how are you calling me to serve you now? This is our reasonable worship. This is a song of second chances. This is a song of blessing. And number three this morning, this is a song of salvation. This is a song of salvation. Verse 76, Zechariah takes his child in hand, you can imagine. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will give knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. It's really incredible. This song is about John, and yet it's not about John. This is a song about John. He says, and you, child. But it's not about John, because it's about who John has come to prepare us for. He will be the prophet of the Most High, giving us knowledge of salvation, which is the forgiveness of sins. John's role was preparatory. John came to prepare the people of God for Jesus. And they needed prepared because the people of God in John's day, they thought salvation meant deliverance from Roman rule. They felt like deliverance would be deliverance from Roman oppression. But John was sent to tell them that salvation is the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. And friends, we can be so like Israel. Focused on deliverance out of trials focused on deliverance out of hardship, focused on deliverance into our best life now, when really our greatest need, our most urgent need, is always the forgiveness of our sins. We need to be forgiven of our sins by the God that we have offended. And I want you to notice how Zechariah intentionally draws our attention here to the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God, he says in verse 78, that is the motivation for this visitation of God in Jesus. And it is the motivation, the mercy is the motivation in sending John to prepare the way for the Savior who is Jesus Christ. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is the motivation behind the sending of John and behind the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ and the sending of the Savior. It is all due to the tender mercy of God. In his commentary on this passage, Darrell Balk helpfully notes one word, mercy, characterizes the entire plan. Both the forerunners and Messiah's task are concrete expressions of God's mercy. I like that idea that the coming of Jesus is a concrete expression of God's mercy. Some of you need to be reminded of God's mercy today. You need to be reminded of God's mercy to you in your sin and in your suffering and the concrete expression of it is the gift of His Son. There's nothing more merciful that God has done for you. And if He has given you His Son, how will He not also with Him graciously give you all that you need?
Jesus is the concrete expression of God's mercy. And I want you to notice as well that he describes it as a tender mercy. This is a heartfelt mercy. All of us are in need of mercy. All of us need God's tender mercy. And that's what Christmas so wonderfully reminds us of. It reminds us of the tender mercy of God in sending his son and sacrificing his son in our place that we might be forgiven of our sins. Listen, listen, friends, Christmas should thrill our hearts, not just because Christ was born, but because a savior was born. A savior was born. Christmas is a heart-thrilling reminder that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, but has visited us in Jesus to redeem us and to make us his own. And Zechariah describes the wonder of this mercy breaking into our life, washing over us in salvation with the words that he uses in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Listen, folks, here's the picture here. This is the picture that Zechariah is painting for us and God is painting for us in him. Outside the mercy of God, think back to before you are a Christian or think back to earlier this week or earlier this morning when you weren't acting like a Christian. Outside the mercy of God, we live in darkness. We sit in darkness. Outside the tender kindness of God, we are all sitting in the shadow of death. That's all of us outside of Christ. We're sitting in darkness because of our sin, and we are sitting there with no hope of altering that condition. We are sitting there trying to pass the time, trying to live our best life now, but in the end, we are going to be devoured by our enemy. Death will come for us. Outside of Christ, we all live in the shadow of death. But then, on the horizon, breaking Light appears. Light appears in our darkness. Light appears. A sunrise visiting us from on high, giving light to our path, helping us to see how it is that we can have Peace with God. The prophet Malachi foretold of this day, saying that the son of righteousness, that's S-U-N, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Malachi foretold of this day, and Zechariah is saying that day has come in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because of his tender mercy, God is visiting his people. He is sending the son of righteousness to shine upon us, and that son is his son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a description of the salvation Jesus brings. It is light shining on our darkness. It is light breaking into our darkness. And eventually, Jesus will raise his voice and declare, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So listen, if you are here today and you are not a Christian, if I can just have your attention for a minute. If you are here and you are not a Christian, listen, you are living in the shadow of death. Your life might be going okay. You might feel like you're not very needy right now, but you are living in the shadow of death and you do not know when it will strike. You don't know. You don't know. But you do know it will strike. You do know death will come. Death will come and you are living your life under that shadow. But God is tender in mercy. And he has sent forth his son, the light of life, to live the life that you cannot live and die the death you deserve to die for your sins. God sent Jesus to redeem you, to pay the price for your salvation, to rescue you out of that darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of his marvelous light. God has done all that for you. All you need do is receive it. All you need do is repent of your sins and believe that God has done this for you. And you will be saved. That shadow of death will be no more. You will live with eternal life. The light of life has come today. And for the rest of us, since most of us here are Christians, let's conclude with this. This Christmas, one of the things we all do at Christmas time, we gather around Christmas tables, we gather around the Christmas tree, we gather around the fire. And so often we tell stories. We tell stories about favorite Christmas memories and traditions, and we look at favorite Christmas ornaments and we recount the stories or gifts that were left on the tree and how much we blessed how much they were blessing us. Let's use this Christmas to recount the story of when God in his mercy broke into our darkness with his marvelous light. Parents, let's tell our kids that story. That that's why Jesus came. That that's the wonder of Christmas. And then may we join with Elizabeth, who's exclaiming, and may we join with John in this passage, who's been a-leaping, and may we join with Mary, who is magnifying, and may we join with Zechariah, who is blessing, and soon we're going to join with the angels who are glorifying. Let's join with this Christmas choir and sing the praises of our great God. Let's sing like we haven't sung in a long time this Christmas. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, Lord, it is an amazing, is an amazing fact that you have visited us in Jesus Christ and paid the price for our redemption, our salvation, with the blood of your own Son. His life for ours, our death for his. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to cherish these things. We, we read in this passage that all the neighbors of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth and all those in the hillside of Judea heard about these things and wondered at them and treasured them in their heart, wondering what child John would be. Well, Lord, may we hear these things in wonder and treasure them in our heart. What kind of person Christ Jesus is? What kind of Savior? God, help us to cherish Christ this Christmas. For your Son is the greatest gift ever given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand now, please.